Today we're doing another one of our Q&A Sundays, so we try to do these every few months or so, just as an opportunity to press pause and be able to talk about some of the things that you might be processing, and uh, so your teaching notes for this week inside of Caring Connection you'll see are very blank, and that's because there's an opportunity for you to write down whatever notes that you want to as we go through these questions, Um, but you also see at the bottom there is a space for you to write down any questions that might come to you through this, because I'm aware that uh, sometimes we can kind of talk in the couple of weeks leading up to a Q&A Sunday to say there's an opportunity to write questions in the question box uh, and you might be like, there was something, but I can't remember what it was. So thinking that today as we go through, there might be something that comes to you and so if that happens, feel free to give me uh, the bottom part of your page or to email that or text that through to me and uh, I'll save them up for the next time that we do uh, Q&A Sunday. A few reminders about what Q&A Sundays are and are not about as we begin because for some of you, this is uh, your first one of these. We want to do these on a regular basis because we do want to continue to emphasise that asking questions is a really, really good and healthy thing for us to do. Uh, It's actually really dangerous if we ever get to a place where we just take everything for granted and where we just believe what we're told, that's how cults start. And so we don't want to become a cult. We want to be a good community that's healthy and continuing to wrestle with things and continuing to ask things. We also want to just name that that's a part of the reality for all of us and we can sometimes get trapped into thinking that following Jesus is supposed to be about getting it all together and having all of our questions answered and that's simply not a point that any of us arrive at. We spend our whole lives wrestling with questions and doubts. I've still got questions and doubts about different things about what it means to follow Jesus and that's perfectly okay. And so Q&A Sundays give us an opportunity to just remind ourselves of that. We also want to say that in a healthy family, there is the opportunity, as we said earlier with our family segment, for kids to be able to ask questions. Uh, In a healthy family, kids who have this amazing sense of wonder and sense of curiosity about the world are able to ask why questions, how come things happen this way. And so if we want to be a healthy spiritual family, we want to say, regardless of whether kids are young in age or whether it's people who are young in their faith journey, We want to create those opportunities for people to be able to process through things and ask the why questions and the how come questions as well. So uh, we're going to wrestle through a bunch of questions that people have given us over the last little while. And uh, so the purpose of this is certainly not for me to stand up here and say I'm an expert and I've got all the answers to these things. And some of these things we could go significantly deeper with. So if one of the questions that we're talking about today is one of your questions and you feel like it's inadequate, then come and chat and I'd be happy to talk a bit more about it. So first question that we've got is this. Did Jesus really need to be baptised? Or was it only an example for us? And so this is a great question that comes on the heels of our baptism service a couple of weeks ago uh, to be able to wrestle with this question. Did Jesus actually need to get baptised or was that something that was just an example? We believe that baptism is symbolic of us saying we've chosen to follow Jesus But specifically within that, we talk about baptism being symbolic of having all of our sins washed clean. So all of the times that we make mistakes, all of the times that we act selfishly, all of the times that we don't act with love, we believe God has forgiven us for all of those things. And so baptism is beautiful because it's symbolic of all of those things being washed away. So that really does beg the question, for Jesus, who we believe was perfect and didn't commit any sin, never did anything selfish, never did anything for any other purpose than love, 
Did he need to get baptised then, symbolically or otherwise? Because that wouldn't seem to make sense. Now, Jesus' baptism is obviously important because we see it in Matthew, Mark and Luke. So three of the four biographies about Jesus, we read about his baptism. So let's have a quick look at Matthew's version of what that looks like, coming from Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. It says, At that time, Jesus arrived from Galilee and came to John, this is John the Baptist, at the Jordan River to be baptised by him. But John tried to make him change his mind. I ought to be baptised by you, John said, and yet you have come to me. And you can kind of imagine how John would be feeling at this point, can't you? <laughs> Jesus strolls up to you and says, uh, John, I'd like you to baptise me today. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. If anyone's doing any baptising here, it should be you baptising me, not the other way around. But Jesus says to him, let it be so for now. For in this way, we shall do all that God requires. And so John agreed. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he came up out of the water. And then heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and lighting on him. And then a voice said from heaven, This is my own dear Son, with whom I am pleased. So as we wrestle with this question of why Jesus needed to get baptised, I think a lot of it comes down to a question around identity understanding who Jesus was. And so we have God saying to Jesus at his baptism, this is my dear son with whom I'm well pleased. And it's interesting that that's what God chooses to say because as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, think about all the other things that God could have said. This is the Messiah who's come to rescue you. Or this is the military ruler who's come to overthrow the Roman government. Or this is the philosopher who's going to teach you how to live your lives the way that I want you to live. Those are all things, and there's many others, that God could have said over Jesus at his baptism. But instead he says, this is my own dear son with whom I am pleased. And I think that that's really, really important to recognise. Before Jesus has actually done anything really, anything significant, anything miraculous, anything that's had a significant impact, God says... I am pleased with you because you are my son. And I sense that that was probably very important for Jesus as he got started to be able to recognise this is who I am. This is what my identity is. And it was also obviously really important for the people who were there witnessing the baptism to be able to understand, oh, this is God's son. This is someone who we need to listen to. But even that could have happened pretty much anywhere. That could have happened just while Jesus was walking through a field one day that God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son who I'm pleased. Or it could have happened while Jesus was standing up giving one of his amazing speeches. You think about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus stands up and God says, <clears throat> just before you get started, just a quick note, this is my dear son with who I am well pleased. On you go, Jesus. So it could have happened at any point, but it happens around Jesus' baptism. So we keep coming back to why was this really, really important? And we do think that it is a part of us having an example to follow. As we talk about baptisms, we always say, Jesus got baptised and therefore we believe we should follow in his footsteps. And so there is that example that we're following but there's also the example that we have where Jesus specifically says to John, let it be so for now, for in this way we shall do all that God requires. Jesus shows this radical obedience all the way through his life to do the things that God asked him to do, which is then again a model for us to be able to follow. So coming back to the question, did Jesus really need to be baptised? The answer is actually no. 
He didn't need to get baptised. But he did it as a model for us to follow, but also so that we can relate to him. And this is actually really important because we could shift the question to say, well, do any of us need to get baptised? And the answer to that is also no. We don't need to. It doesn't actually change our status before God for us to get baptised. It's something that we've said is symbolic of a decision that we've already made. But we should follow in Jesus' footsteps to say it's something God wants for us and therefore we should want to do, something that we should want to prioritise because there is so much symbolism in it. And if it was good enough for Jesus, then we would say that it's good enough for us. Next question. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Why and when was it changed to Sunday? So uh, this remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy is one of the Ten Commandments that we read about in Exodus chapter 20. So specifically in verses 8 to 11, it says, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. On that day, no one is to work, neither you, your children, your slaves, your animals, nor the foreigners who live in your country. In six days, I, the Lord, made the earth, the sky, the seas, and everything in them, but on the seventh day, I rested. And so that is why I, the Lord, blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So this is one of the Ten Commandments, which was this set of instructions that God gave to the Israelite people to say, this is how to live life the way that I created you to live. This is how to live in a healthy relationship with me and how to live in a healthy relationship with each other. And what's not healthy is to try and work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not a healthy thing for us to live at all. And so God says it's really important for you to be healthy, to have times where you stop and where you rest. And so for a Jewish person, their day actually starts at sunset, which is an interesting concept to be able to say your day actually starts when you go to bed because the sleep that you have affects what happens the next day. It's interesting for us just to think about that. But for them, a Sabbath starts on Friday night when the sun goes down and goes all the way through to Saturday when sunset happens at that point as well. And so it was this really important thing that they had built into the rhythm of life that they had, a day where they stopped, where they said, we're not going to work today, we're going to focus on God, we're going to focus on relationships and being able to just celebrate life together. But... Unfortunately, by the time Jesus came along, this had become really, really distorted and completely just they layered a whole bunch of different things into it. Uh, And in particular, had started to put all these extra rules because as humans, we're very good at getting a, a set of guidelines given to us and saying, yeah, but... So, yeah, that's good, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And so part of the journey of the Old Testament is God dealing with all the yeah buts (laughs) that people keep coming up with. And so by the time Jesus comes along, the rules about Sabbath had become extremely specific. So you knew on the Sabbath, and these are just some examples, you weren't allowed to plant seeds, for example. So gardeners who do gardening on the Sabbath, nope, not allowed to do that. Not allowed to harvest crops, question about whether you'd be able to do shopping, I guess, for us. That's how we harvest most of our crops. Uh, You're not allowed to tie or untie knots. So that's interesting. I don't know how you're supposed to do your shoes up, but not allowed to do that as a part of it. You're not allowed to cook. You're not allowed to write two or more letters, and not like full letters, but just actual letters. You're not allowed to write two or more of them. 
I don't know why you're allowed to write one, but you're not allowed to write more than two. And so all of these things had been piled on. And so all of a sudden, when Jesus comes along, the Sabbath has become this really massive, weighed down, heavy thing for people. That wasn't at all about freedom or about health. And so Jesus really shows a number of times how ridiculous the Sabbath has become for people and really tries to reinvent that and say this is what it's supposed to be about. My favourite story of this is one where Jesus is talking to a crowd. Uh, They've gone for a bit of a walk and they've ended up on the side of this hill and uh, Jesus is talking to them and saying some stuff that some people are a little bit upset about. Uh, Jesus talked about a lot of things that upset, particularly the religious rulers. And so they were actually getting ready to attack him. And Jesus then just walks off, is what we have in the biblical narrative, which seems a bit strange. It's like, well, why didn't people follow him if they were so upset? And the reason is because at that point they had actually walked as far as they were allowed to walk on the Sabbath day. So this was another one of the rules. You can walk, but only a certain amount. And so Jesus knew they'd already walked that distance. So he says, I'm off. See you later enjoy your Sabbath. <laughs> and off he goes. And so they're left standing there going, well, I guess we just got to sit here until the sun goes down because they weren't allowed to do anything because it was the Sabbath. So Jesus really challenges all of this and ends up trying to remind us Sabbath is supposed to be about rest, about connecting with God and about connecting with each other. So going back to the question then, why was it changed to a Sunday and when did that happen? Well, it happened in the early church. They made the decision to say, we want to celebrate Sundays as the day when Jesus rose again. So Easter Sunday is when Jesus came back to life. And so we want to use Sunday every week as an opportunity to say, isn't this awesome to be able to celebrate it? And so the early church then adopted this as a practice to say Sabbath isn't on Saturdays anymore. It's on Sundays. And so we have then inherited that as a mindset for us. And lots of people, including, I know I've heard some of your fabulous stories about when you were kids and what Sabbath was like for you in your families, inherited some of that very heavy set of rules about you're not allowed to do this. So I've heard some of you talk about how on Sabbath you weren't allowed to play games, you weren't allowed to play cards, you weren't allowed to go outside and run around. You had to just sit down and be quiet because it's the Sabbath and it's a day of rest. So we want to challenge ourselves to say, Sabbath for us, whether we celebrate it on a Sunday or whether we celebrate it at a different time during the week, is about that principle of saying, am I taking time every week to stop? Because God doesn't want us to work all the time. He wants us to be able to slow down and have at least one day a week where we don't focus on what we have to do but we focus on what we get to do and what we want to do. To be able to slow down enough to celebrate who God is and that he loves us not for what we achieve, but just simply for who we are. To have a day where we celebrate our relationships and our friendships that we've got, where we enjoy food, where we enjoy doing the things that we love to do. And so that's a good challenge for all of us, especially in our 24-7 society, to say, what does it look like for me to slow down and experience Sabbath rest in my life? All right, next question. How do you know that the return of Jesus to rule will be good to us? So where this comes from is uh, that at the end of time, our expectation is that Jesus is going to come back. And when that happens, we're going to experience life the way that it was always supposed to be, where we're fully healed, we're fully whole, we're loved, 
There's joy, there's no tears, there's no sorrow. Our expectation is that's what's going to happen at the end of time. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Paul writes about it in a number of his letters and the expectation of Jesus coming back and says things like, as you eagerly await for Jesus to return, stay focused until Jesus returns, be ready for Jesus to return. And uh, there's lots about it in Revelation as well, the last book of the Bible. So as we wrestle with this question, we want to say, well, what does Jesus show us is most important? So specifically, the return of Jesus to rule us, what do we understand that Jesus' rule is going to be like? Well, in Jesus' life, we see radical acceptance, radical love, people being embraced, people being set free. And so for me, as I look at that question, I would say, because we know what Jesus is like. And so why would we think that it's going to be anything but simply amazing as we look at Jesus' life? My suspicion is that this question comes from a couple of different perspectives about what's going to happen at the end of time. Jesus, in particular, talks about coming back and then making a decision about who has been following him authentically and who hasn't. And so I think sometimes we have this sense of fear about Jesus coming back to say, well, what if I'm not one of the people who's been following Jesus authentically? What's going to end up happening to me? And my challenge in that would be to say, if we look at Jesus, again, what we see is radical acceptance. Jesus coming to do everything that's necessary and to complete the work that God had for him so that we're accepted, not because of what we do, but simply because of what he has done. So Jesus shows us incredibly radical grace and love and accepts us fully. And so there's no need for us to have a sense of fear about have I done enough because it's not about what we do, it's about what he's done. But it could also come from uh, what we read about in Revelation where we believe, different schools of thought believe this, uh, that Jesus coming back will trigger what's called the end times. And what we read about in the book of Revelation, which is filled with all sorts of very confusing and at times disturbing pictures of what's going to happen. And there are two schools of thought about Revelation. One is that the book of Revelation is literal, so everything that's written there is going to happen exactly the way that it's written down there. And then there's a school of thought that Revelation is figurative, which means that it's imagery that's there that helps us to understand the sorts of things that are going to happen, but particularly how much God's victory is going to be final and how much we're going to embrace and love being able to be a part of his life. So in the end, as I think about this question, it really comes back to this. To say we don't actually know the answers to some of those questions. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. We don't know exactly what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. But this is the question I ask myself a lot. Will it make any difference about how I live, live my life if I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? So if somehow I discovered that Jesus was absolutely going to come back tomorrow, the question I want to ask myself is would I live my life any differently today? Because if the answer to that is yes, then my challenge is to say, well, why would I not just live my life differently, regardless of whether Jesus is coming back or not? Because there's two reasons why I might live my life differently. There's some things that I'm doing that I know are not God's best for me. There are some things that I do, some habits that I've got, some ways that I treat people, whatever it might be, that I know are not what God wants for me. So if I would change those things because Jesus is coming back, why would I not just change them because they're not healthy for me and they're not what God wants for me anyway? 
Or the flip side of that. If I knew Jesus was coming back, then I would definitely do this. I would definitely start doing this. I would start treating people this way, whatever it might be. And same thing. If that's where we're at, then my challenge would be to say, why miss out on all the good that God has got for us because we choose not to do that until Jesus comes back? Last question for today, and then we will wrap things up. The parable of the prodigal son. Does it imply that we need to backslide to get a special ring and recognition from God? Because the son who was with the father all the time didn't get the ring, the robe and the party which the prodigal son got. So very briefly, you can read the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. It is one of the most amazing stories that Jesus shares for us to understand what God is like. So it is one of my absolute favourite parables that Jesus tells. And it basically goes like this. There's a father who has two sons. The younger son comes to the father and says, I would like my share of the inheritance right now. Uh, Honestly, you're worth nothing to me other than the money that you've got for me, so I kind of wish you were dead. I would rather just have the money, is effectively what he's saying. The father very graciously says, okay, and splits his money between his two sons. The younger son takes off and uh, goes on a spending spree and does everything that you can possibly imagine and ends up spending all of the money. And then he hits rock bottom and he realises, what on earth am I thinking? The people who work on my dad's farm are better off than I am. So I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to say, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Will you at least just take me on as one of your servants so that I can have some money and be able to work? And so he sets off And while he's still a long way away from his dad's farm, he starts to see this figure running towards him. And it's his dad. And his dad comes up to him and throws his arms around him. And the son says his speech that he's been practicing, I'm so sorry for the way that I messed up. Will you please take me back as one of your servants? But the father isn't even listening. He's talking to one of his other workers and he says, go and get that calf that we've been fattening up and get the barbecue ready, go and put some music on and go and get a robe because that's something to help my son know that he is still a part of our family. Get him some uh, sandals because that's also a part of helping him know that he's not just one of the people who work here, he's a part of the family. Oh, and get him the signet ring of our family. The mark that helps him to know you are absolutely here and you have the same rights and privileges as all the rest of us who are a part of this family. So they go inside, this awesome party breaks out and while all this has been going on, the older son is hanging out in one of the fields doing some work and he comes in and he meets one of the other people who works for his dad and he says, what's all the noise about? And this person says, oh, your, your brother has come back. And so your dad's thrown this awesome party. Well, the older son is fuming at this point, And he says, I cannot believe it. After all he's done, he's come back. And the dad comes out, tries to invite the son in and ends up saying to him, what are you kidding me? This guy spends all your money, comes back. I've been here the whole time, slaving away, working my tail off, and you won't even give me a goat to have a party with my friends. What's going on? And the father says, but he's back. I thought he was dead and he's alive. Everything I've got is already yours. So we have to celebrate that your brother is effectively back from the dead. So as we come back to the question, do we need to backslide 
to walk away from God in order to get a special ring or a special blessing from God. Backsliding is a term that's used in a number of churches with the idea of saying that I've made a choice to follow Jesus and so I've reoriented my life around that, but now I'm kind of sliding backwards into some old habits that I've got. And so the question is, do we need to rebel like the younger son in order to have God give us a special blessing like the younger son got? And the beauty of what Jesus is saying through this story is that it's not just about the prodigal son. It's actually unfortunate that we've called it the parable of the prodigal son because it's just as much about a loving, gracious father and about an older son who needs to go through some pretty significant changes in his mindset as well. Because what we often miss, especially those of us who, if we're honest, relate a bit more to the older son, is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, verse 12. Right at the beginning of the parable, Jesus says, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to him, Father, give me my share of the property now. And so the man divided his property between the two sons. So right at the beginning of the story, we understand that actually the older son had been given half of the inheritance at that point. He wasn't waiting until his dad died. His dad split the money between the younger son and the older son. So all of this time, the older son has had all of the wealth that the father had given him. And yet what's his mindset from that day on? Verses 29 and 30, he spoke to his father and just listened to the tone in this. Look, all these years I have worked for you like a slave and I've never disobeyed your orders. And what have you given me? Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But this son of yours, which is interesting, not my brother, this son of yours... Wasted all your property on prostitutes, and when he came back home, you killed the prized calf for him. Just this attitude of, I've slaved my whole life to try and earn even something from you. I haven't even been able to have a party with my friends. Are you kidding me? This guy comes back, he's wasted all this money, and yet you give him all this stuff. The father is equally gracious to the son and says in verse 31, My son, you're always here with me, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. All these years, the older son has been working away to try and earn something that had already been given to him. If he'd wanted to have a goat party, he could have had it at any point in the last number of years. And it's so sad, but if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us project that onto God as well. We try so hard to earn God's love, to earn God's favour, to earn things that God has already given to us. We can, if we're honest with ourselves, start to feel a bit resentful in our attitude with God. I can't believe after all that I do for you, after all I work, after all these things that I sacrifice for, how come someone else gets something and I miss out? We can have that attitude very, very easily. And so this is so important, not just for those of us who have walked away from God or who, for whatever reason, have made choices to just isolate ourselves and to understand that God's radical love is there for us and that God wants to welcome us back in. To be able to say, for those of us who haven't walked away, that radical love, that radical acceptance is there just as strong and powerfully for each one of us. And so God doesn't withhold things from us because we're not working hard enough or we haven't slaved enough. God loves us and wants the very best for us. So I think that's a great place for us to wrap up 
as we head into this week, to be reminded that regardless of where we're coming from, whether we're people who feel like we've walked away and we're not sure how God feels about us, or whether we've been people who've been there the whole time, God loves us passionately and wants the very best for us as we live our lives. So let's pray, and then we'll sing a song to wrap things up. Jesus, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us, for the way in which you've done everything necessary for us to become a part of God's family with all the rights and privileges that come with that, that we don't have to spend our lives slaving away in the hopes that we might somehow sneak over the line and get the things that God's got for us, but that you have done everything already to give us the opportunity to experience that in the here and now. And so that means that we can live out of the freedom that comes from that. As we head into this week, we can live out of the sense of recognising that you love us, that you're with us, that you're for us. And so regardless of what we're facing this week, whether there's challenges ahead of us, whether we're excited about the week ahead, we get to do all of it with you as a part of your family. And so we ask that you would challenge our thoughts For those of us who have walked away from you or have never been in a place where we've really understood your amazing love for us, help us to be challenged by what that looks like. That you love us to the core of who we are, not because of what we do, but simply because of who we are. And for those of us who are heavily involved in the things that you're doing, help us this week to recalibrate around that so that it's not about us slaving away, hoping that we can earn something that's already been given to us, but us being able to serve this week in the freedom that you give us to be able to make a difference the way that we know you want us to make in this world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.